Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Well, amen. Thank you, worship team. Was that some good worship or what? Amen. And I got news for you. The final song of today is, is one of my favorite songs, and it goes great with this message. And we're beginning a brand new series called What's Next? It is the Omega side. It is the bookend on the right of God's eternal, infallible, inerrant word. So I would invite you to find that in your Bible. Turn to the very back and then move left. It'll be the first book you come to. And we will be in chapter one. We'll cover three uh, primary verses. But I just want to tell you, this book is jam-packed with amazing stuff for a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, often people are fearful of this book and they run from this book and they're, they're confused by this book. But I'll show you today that, that we need to be in this particular number 66 of God's word. Now, often when you get to the end of a book or a movie, whoever the author is, he writes the main characters in is dead. And I always, that aggravates me. My wife likes that okay. You go to the movie, primary ca- uh, character checks out and dies and <laughs> she's crying and I'm like, really? Who wrote this? And who, we paid to come and cry. Well, I can do this on my own. I can be sad all by myself. I don't need to pay for that in my life. But in this book, that does not happen. God does not write his children dead. God writes his son and those uh, betrothed who will ultimately be uh, wedded to him, the church, the believers of Jesus, he writes them in alive and well. Amen? And so for those outside of Jesus who expend this life without ever receiving the grace gift of Jesus into their life, Chapters 4 through 19 is not a very pretty picture. In fact, it's a dismal picture. But in chapters 1 through 3 and 19 through 22, it is amazing. It is amazing life, and it's beautiful for the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ. Now, when you study this book, there's basically four primary views or approaches to study in this book. Now, this is a little bit of information, but we're launching this series, so I want you to know. The first one would be called a preterist view. A preterist view believes it's already happened. In fact, they believe in 70 AD when uh, Rome, when the Roman emperor was Nero and then Domitian, when the church was being persecuted and they burned Rome, uh, they believe that all of this, uh, chapters 4 through 19, the tribulation season, uh, they believe that that unfolded. We don't believe that because included in, night, in, in Revelation is the return of Christ. And we have a lot of information about the first appearance, the first advent of Jesus, nothing about his second coming. He did not come. So we're still waiting for that day. That's the preterist view. Number two is the allegorical view. These people would believe that that Revelation is just a book of symbology, and these people would write it off as just poetry or a story that we'll never fully understand and never fully will it be applicable to us. They would view the same, they would have the same view of the book of Genesis, that it's not a book of our realistic historical origins, but it's just allegory or poetry or writing. The third is the historical view that the whole book simply is a painting of the, of the, of the history of the church for 2,000 years. That's not who we are. It's not who I am, and we're not alone. I'm a conservative 
evangelical. I don't hide from that. I'm proud, from the, uh, proud of that. And uh, we believe in a futuristic view that chapters one through three are the era of the church, that since Jesus was ascended and in Acts when the church was birthed until he returns to get his church, that is chapters one through three of Revelation. We believe that chapters four through 19 is a tribulation period, period when God will pour out his wrath upon this earth. We believe chapter 20 is a millennial reign, a real reign of Jesus living on this earth uh, for a thousand years of peace. We believe then chapters 21 uh, and 22 are our forever home, a new heaven and a new earth. And that's how we separate this amazing book. Now, I'm excited about this book, and uh, I hope you're excited. If you're, if you're one of us and you want to be a part of this, I'm telling you, you will, you will be blessed in this book. And it's so good they're going to play music while I preach. How cool is that? Okay, amazing. Okay, now, that's all right, man, do it. I don't care, I'll sing, I don't care, I'm, I'm excited. All right, so, so, so what happens is, in this book, um, we, we, can, uh, we see the culmination of everything that's ever happened in the history of mankind. Everything that God has ever done on this planet since he created it, and we find it coming to a fruition or a, a fulfillment in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm, I'm very excited about it, okay? As excited as I am, and if you're a believer, as excited as you will become or you should already be, there is one who is not so excited about the book of Revelation, and his name is Satan. You see, in the book of Revelation, Satan finds his end. You see, what began in Genesis, the bookend on the left, completes in the book of Revelation, the bookend on the right. And it is not a good picture for the enemy, Satan himself. In fact, it looks like this. The revelation offers closure to the affliction brought on this planet by Satan himself. Genesis, I thought that was the rapture for a second. I wasn't even going to finish this. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good. Okay. In Genesis, uh, 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 Satan is seen for the first time. He doesn't show up until chapter 3. He misses two chapters in Genesis. In Revelation, he's not, he does not appear to mankind in the last two chapters. Now, he's got a lot going on between chapter 3 and chapter 19 of Revelation, but it's over. So we find his beginning, we find his end. In Genesis, he's introduced as victorious over mankind. In Revelation, he's defeated and he's cast into eternal torment. In Genesis, the first Adam which is defeated and he's dying and decaying. In Revelation, the last Adam, Jesus, reigns in glory. In G Genesis, we see the first wedding and the first bride disrupted and destroyed by Satan himself. In Revelation, we see the last wedding and the eternal bride, victorious. In Genesis, we see the curse of death introduced. In Revelation, we see the curse of death eradicated. In Genesis, man can no longer look upon the face of God. In Revelation, man bows and sees face to face the glory of God. In Genesis, Satan's doom is foretold. In Revelation, Satan's doom is fulfilled. This is not a good book for the enemy, and he hates it. This is a good, a good book for those who have been uh, freed and rescued from his captivity by Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer today, trust me when I say, you don't want to miss this book. If you are lost today and you don't know Jesus, you've never met him. He's never, you've never allowed his grace gift to enter your being and touch and captivate your soul. You might want to skip chapters four through 19 of this series, okay? Because it is not a good picture. So I want to invite you on a trip into the future to see what it is that God is going to do because it's good. Because what God does is always bigger than you can imagine and bigger than you can 
uh, understand in our frail human minds. So open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, or your Bible, your device, however you're looking at it. Let's see what it says. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. What must happen very soon? He made it clear by sending his angel to his servant, John, who then testified to everything that he saw concerning the word of God and the testimony about Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud, and blessed are those who hear and obey the things written in it, because the time is near. Lord God, thank you for the revelation. Thank you for opening up so we can see what's in store for your kingdom and for your children. Thank you, God. Open our hearts and let us hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see about this introduction to the book of Revelation is, is, is the person of the revelation. The person of the revelation. But before we get to the person, let me just go ahead and unpack a couple of things that we need to clear up. The first thing, I want you to say with me what the title of this book is. Say it. Singular. Look at your neighbor and say, there's one. You say, why are we saying that? A lot of people call it revelations. Uh, those same people probably go to the Walmarts. Uh, okay? It's not Walmarts. It's not revelations. It's Revelation singular. Tell your neighbor there's just one. Okay? That's really important. Number two, the revelation. What is a revelation? The revelation in Greek is apocalypsis. Apocalypsis, we would get our word apocalypse. Here's what it means. It means an unveiling, an unfurling, an uncovering, or a revealing. Now, this is what's cool. Jesus came in his first advent in humility, in poverty, in shame, and he was brutally crucified on a rugged cross before men. When he comes in Revelation, when he comes again, it will not be in shame and humility. It will be in glory, and it will be in honor, and it will be in power. You see, and so Revelation is going to unveil what it looks like next time, and it's really, really good. I will tell you this, if you come to this series, you will see Jesus like you've never seen Jesus before. Now, maybe you've studied Revelation and you get a little glimpse of that, but in Revelation, you see Jesus like you've never seen him before. I remember growing up, and as I got older, I got a little bit backward, a little bit, I'm not going to say ashamed, that's not that's a strong word, but uncomfortable using the name Jesus, because it had got, kind of gotten feminized, nothing wrong with females, but Jesus is not one, okay? And so it had kind of gotten feminized, and so when you said Jesus, it, in my mind, because I was away from God from where I should be, it didn't have the power that it should have had. I want you to know that when you say the name Jesus, you are speaking the name of the commander and chief of the universe. I want you to know when you speak the name Jesus, you are, you are speaking the name who created and sustains everything in existence. Watch this. Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. Man, that's good. That's good. See, he heard that. He just, he was, he, he ate that up. He loves for you and for me to call his name out reverentially, to realize the greatness of who he is. Now, it's the person of Revelation. You see, the Bible says in Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, your Bible in paper may, on an opening page, say the revelation of John. 
If you want to, you can tear that out. That's not, that's not authority. Okay, that's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is not the revelation of John. It is the revelation of Jesus penned by John. Now, who's John? John is the John who, who was the beloved disciple. The one you find kind of hanging out, leaning on Jesus. Man, he loved him some Jesus. He, he saw in the future of who Jesus really was before the other disciples did. And he's the one that Jesus loved. That's what it says about him. He's the one who wrote the gospel of John. He's the one who wrote first, second, and third John. He's the one of all of the disciples that that God would allow him to be cast onto an island called Patmos, which was a big rock island exiled from humankind so he could receive the revelation. Now, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Listen, John was so amazing that under the persecution of Nero and Domitian, they tried to kill people like John. Josephus, the historian, says that they tried to boil him to death, but he lived. That's pretty stinking amazing. When God was so much on him, you couldn't boil his soul away, okay? This is the guy. And so now he's on this stony rock island with nothing there but him and some other inmates or prisoners. Something happens. He gets the revelation. Now, now Jesus is the primary character of the whole book. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Listen, when we read this book, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see nations colliding. We're going to see battles and wars. We're going to see famine and death. We're going to see sickness and plagues. We're going to see bowls of wrath. We're going to see trumpets. We're going to see the Antichrist. We're going to see uh, politics and economies. But at the end of the day, the whole book is about Jesus Christ. So as you read it, and I would challenge you, read it. Just remember it's all about Jesus. Here's what's amazing too. The book of Revelation comes from, there's uh, 404 verses in Revelation, 278 of them, almost 70% are references to the Old Testament. Never is the Old Testament quoted, but they're always referred to the Old Testament. Now, why is that? If this is all about Jesus, I just want to tell you, the whole book is about Jesus. In Genesis, Jesus is introduced in Revelation, Jesus is crowned as king of the universe. And all in between is a picture of Jesus. I tell people this way. It took two chapters for Satan to come in and mess up the whole thing. And it takes almost the rest of the book for Jesus to fix it. All right? And so it's all about Jesus. If you read the Bible anywhere, Old Testament, New Testament, and you don't find Jesus, go back and read it again because he's calling your name from every book in the Bible. So he's the central theme. Um, you say, well, pastor, I, you know, I, I already know a lot about Jesus. I, I don't really need this. No, you don't. If you haven't read this book, you don't know about Jesus. Because, it, it, because what, what happened is in the Gospels, Jesus came differently. He, he came, he came uh, to, to save us. He came to suffer and die for us. But in Revelation, it uncovers his eternal glory. In Revelation, it reveals his magnificent return. In Revelation, it's a glimpse of his forever reign as king. In Revelation, it tells of Jesus claiming his own, the bride, the church, me, you, if you're a believer. In Revelation, it describes Jesus Christ uh, lifted up on his throne. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, this thing's about Jesus. Number two, I want you to see that it has a recipient. The recipients 
of the book of Revelation. He wrote it to someone. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, listen what it says, which God gave him to show his servants. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to Jesus Christ so Jesus Christ could show it to his servants. Now in the Greek, that word servant is doulos. Doulos is a willing subject of their ruler. So we are bond servants. Listen, I'm a Christian. I'm a servant. I'm a slave to the most high God. That's what I am. I willingly, I willingly, willingly submit to be a slave of Jesus for all of eternity. That's what it looks like. You see, sometimes the word servant or slave gets, bad, gets a bad rap. In America, it has a terrible rap. Because slavery in America looked like capturing someone from their homeland, transporting them to a new place, beating them into submission, and selling them to somebody else on the auction block. That's not biblical slavery. That's Egyptian-style slavery. That's not what we're talking about. You see, in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, there were often slaves who would come and willingly, and, and what it meant was to be a slave was to be a doulos, a servant. They would say, I am going to work at this estate for this owner for the rest of my life. And they would take their earlobe and take an awl or a, a, a tool and poke a hole in their earlobe. And here's what that would say. I'm going to be a servant of this estate for the rest of my life. Because they're good to me, I'm going to be good to them. That's what it looks like. Servants, a doulos of Jesus, realizes what Jesus, the king of glory, did on a cross in bleeding to death to forgive our sin. And we say, you know what? He did that for me. You can punch a hole in my ear because I'm going to be his for all of eternity. That's who he's writing this to. Now, some people say, well, I just, I'm a doulos, I'm a servant, but I just don't believe it's going to happen. If you don't believe it's going to happen and you are a doulos, you have not read his counsel. You have not read his Bible. These things will happen. Now, the third thing I want you to see is the timing. Speaking of these things will happen, the most common question about futuristic ideas uh, regarding God, Jesus, the return, the rapture, the catching away, his return to reign, all of that, the most common question. So, so when's this going to happen? When, when, have you ever wondered when stuff like that's going to happen? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, you ain't alone. 2,000 years ago, the disciples wondered when it was going to happen. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, when is this going to happen? 2,000 years ago, when it didn't happen just then, other authors in the New Testament were asked the same question, and they responded. And we're going to look at that just a little bit. Here's what it said. This stuff must happen soon. Now, in our language, when I say this is going to happen soon, like if I said, hey, I'm going to go out in just a little while and eat off a food truck, and it's going to happen soon. You know what that means? About 35 minutes, I'm going out to the food truck, and I'm going to get me something off that truck and eat. All right? That's what it means. In Greek language, trans, uh, transferred to English language, we have to unpack it a little bit. Listen to what it means. Because people say, if it's going to happen soon, it's been 2,000 years. So one of two things is going to happen. When you read it's going to happen soon, you say, oh, no. Or you say, well, it must just be allegorical because it has not happened. I want you to know that the Greek word for very soon is intakai. Tell your neighbor, intakai. Now, that, it's not CJ's intakai. It's CJ's taco is a food truck. This is intakai. Okay, intakai, we get a word that guys are familiar with, some women, okay? But guys would get this a little bit more. Um, it means to happen quickly in succession. 
It means to uh, rapid fire events taking place. Uh, it's not a chronos word or it's not a calendar word. This is a speed word. We get our word tachometer. Tachometer in your car measures engine speed and revel revolutions per minute. That's what a tachometer does. So what he's saying right here, when it happens very soon, he says, listen, when we finish with chapter three and chapter four begins, which is the tribulation period, which is going to last from chapter four to chapter 19, you better hang on to your seat because it's a million miles an hour, no breaks short of a pause in the middle. That's what he's talking about. When it begins to happen, you will not contain it. So that being said, I want you to kind of get a picture, a, a, a 30,000 foot view of the book of how it's kind of separated. First in chapters one through three, that's the church age. That's what we live in. We're the church age. God's building his kingdom through the church. That's why the church is so important. People say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't, but you can't be a very good one because God has made the church that we come together to strengthen each other and collectively change the world and build the kingdom. So that's 2,000 years, chapters one through three. And I truly believe we're getting close to that because I believe it's been about 2,000 years. Uh, the tribulation age takes up chapter 4 through 19. That's seven years. Now, that's odd. Three chapters for 2,000 years. And chapters 4 through 19, seven years. I mean, it just, bam, it happens. And then the earthly kingdom, 1,000 years, where Jesus reigns on this earth, which I believe. That lasts for 1,000 years, and it's chapter 20. And then the eternal age, the new heaven and new earth. That's chapters 21 and 22. Now, Forever, people have scoffed about this book. <laughs> you believe that? You actually believe when it says in Thessalonians that Jesus is going to descend on a cloud. Let me get this right. You, you, you believe Jesus is going to come on a cloud, and he's going to throw the brakes on in the air, and he's going to catch or call away the church, the believers in Jesus, and they're going to actually evacuate this earth. And the dead ones are going to ri rise up first because they got six more feet to go. Okay, and those of us that are still alive, we're gonna meet them in the air. We're gonna get on a cloud, a glory cloud, ride back to heaven, have this big marriage supper of the Lamb, only to stay there for a while, and then he's coming back all the way to the earth, and he's bringing those people that he sucked off this planet, he's bringing them with him to rule and reign. You believe that? Your pastor says, yes, I do, okay? And if you don't, it's quite all right, but you have some issues with how you deal with your future. And if you believe it because it said it, then there's hope found in that. No matter on the darkest day, no matter if you wonder if he's coming soon. I remember raising two girls not too long ago. And I remember when they were about 16, 18, daddy, uh, we'd be talking about revelation because I love it. I'd talk about revelation. I'd preach on it, speak on it, whatever. Daddy, I, I need to talk to you. Yeah, what is it? And, and they would gang up on me. You know, it was like they'd come in and, you know, uh, you really think Jesus is coming back soon? I said, I believe it's imminent. I believe it. There's nothing else that has to happen for him to come back for his church. And I remember they'd say, well, you, how long do you think it'll be? And I said, well, I'm not sure. Well, why are you asking this question? You lost, you know? And they said, no. I'd kind of like to get married first and have children. Now they're both married. One of them has two children. They probably think, man, if the rapture would have just happened before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're happily married, but, you know, hello, okay? <laughs> marriage, heaven. Marriage, glory, Jesus, okay? So here's what happens. So what people do is they do that. They, they elevate things that they want to do in life, and they elevate it to a place. <laughs> it trumps the glory of Jesus in heaven. 
Now, let me just go ahead and bust that bubble. There is nothing, no reality, no design in your mind that you can fabricate that will ever even remotely come close to the amazing nature of Jesus returning for his church and being in heaven forever where there is no death, no sorrow, no sickness, returning to capture this world and to cast Satan and those of his uh, demons who are on this earth and those who follow him to cast them into an eternal home and torment. There's no greater, there's no, nothing greater than that. Amen. There's just nothing greater, okay? So, so understand that. It makes it easier to say, huh, It'd be okay if he came today. I don't really, really want to eat on a food truck anyway, okay? All right? So, so here's what happened when there's scoffers. Said, I don't believe it's going to happen. It's been 2,000 years. It's not going to happen. Peter wrote this, 2 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9. He says, friends, do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And the Lord is not slow concerning his promises. Some regard slowness, but his being patient towards you. Listen why he's being patient. Listen why God has held back Jesus' return for the church. It says, because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So listen, the reason he hasn't come yet, it might just be for you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he's not in your life. He's not rescued and captured your soul and just moved in you and changed you for eternity. If he has not given you a new birth, listen, the reason he hasn't come back, he may just be waiting for you. Now, I got to thinking about this. There's going to be one last person to get saved, one last person. And then God says, Jesus, that's the one. That before time began, I marked him to be the last one that I would wait for patiently. And he just received the grace gift. Go get him. You know what I got to think about? I want to know that one. Is it an old man, stubborn, setting his way? I ain't doing that. All of a sudden, you got to say, is it him? Is it it a six-year-old girl kneeling by her bed? I don't know. But I want to find that person. I want to say, man, I love you. Thanks for doing that. Man, how come you didn't, didn't do that earlier? You know, I've been hurting down there. You know, I, it's just cool that you might be the last one, and then bam, he comes for the church. And so, so in the first century, all right, Paul wrote this. Because here's what people do. Okay, 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 listen. Church, I don't believe in all that stuff, but it's okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to entertain you with this idea. Let's just say Jesus comes back today, and all of a sudden I look up, and there's people that I that were believers, and they're gone. Let's just say that really, really happens, okay? No big deal. In that moment, I'll realize, hey, what they've been telling me for so many years, that's really true. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to get saved today. <laughs> no big deal, because the, the tribulation hasn't started. First of all, if you've heard the gospel and rejected it before the church is removed, you cannot get saved. That's what 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us. Not only that, but in, in the tribulation period, you will be given over to a reprobate mind. You will be given over to strong delusion that God allows because you rejected him in the life you had to receive him. Now, there will be people saved during the tribulation period, but it will not be the people who have already had the opportunity to respond, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. The next thing I want you to see, what is the nature of the revelation? The nature of the revelation is prophecy. Listen what it says. It says, and he made it clear, God made it clear, 
to Jesus. Jesus made it clear to John through an angel. Listen to what he says. He made it clear by sending his angel to his servant, John, who then testified to everything that he saw concerning the word of God and the testimony about Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Tell your neighbor it's prophecy. Now, let me unpack this a little bit. Prophecy is a strong word. It can mean one of two very different things. To, have, to, to be a prophet, to have the gift of prophecy, we have spiritual gifts. I have the gift of prophecy. It doesn't mean I foretell the future. Foretelling the future is prophecy. I don't have that, and neither do you. Scripture foretells the future. And if someone tells you they know the future and they did not get it from God's word, walk away because they're lying. They do not know the future. Forthtelling, which is also prophecy, which is the gift I have, is to proclaim what has already be, been given in his counsel. So prophecy is real. It's not foretelling. It's forthtelling. Okay? You got that? Now, what he says is this book is a foretelling book. Now, everybody's interested in prophecy. And, and in fact, 20% of the Bible is, of the whole Bible, is prophecy. Uh, 218, uh, 318 times the word prophecy appears in the New Testament alone. That's over once every chapter. It's a big deal. God, God is a foretelling God. He knows the future. Everybody's a little bit interested in the future. Have you ever been interested in the future enough to inquire or to take seriously another option for foretelling? Have you, anybody ever done that? You bunch of liars. Next week I gotta preach online. Let me tell you what that looks like. You go to the Asian restaurant. At the end they bring you a little fortune cookie. And you open it up just to see, am I getting a raise this week? Maybe you've been one of these turning around, whoa, lotto. Got to get my lotto numbers right here, okay? Let me just tell you what God's not going to do. It's not in his kingdom agenda. To show you the future in a cookie, okay? He's much bigger than that. He, he's much more full of glory than to show you the future in a cookie. John on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day received a cookie. It does not work. It does not work. He will not give it to you in a cookie. Okay, so maybe you've done that. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're more spiritual than the rest of us. Okay? The other thing you might have done is read your zodiac. Anybody here know what sign you're under? I'm a Leo, just for the record. Okay? I didn't know what that, I didn't know that was Satan. Oh, what about this one? My parents, who are good, godly Christian people. We have a guest here to have three uh, boys and have another baby on the way. I'm, I'm kind of hoping it's a boy. She's not, but uh, I have three brothers. It's amazing to be raised with boys. So somewhere along the line, we were growing up, my mom and dad let, let them bring a Ouija board in our house. That is of the devil, all right? But we didn't know any better. So here's what it looked like. Jeff's my older brother. Does Jeff love Carolyn? Man, I'm pushing Yes. Okay, and he's pushing no, and the strongest fingers prevailed. Okay, that's what that's, that's that's what our foretelling looks like. The best one is this: I used to travel a lot, and in Georgia, for whatever reason, that is like the future telling mecca. Okay, you can drive I-16 from Macon to Statesboro or Savannah, and about every third exit, there's a billboard which costs like two thousand dollars a month. It says Madam Lulu's Palm Reading or whatever her name is, and, and, and you get a little closer to the exit. It says, exit now, Madam Lulu, okay? And you get up there closer, you're thinking, man, this is serious. I got big billboards and lines. You get up there, and it's like a single wide. It's a single wide trader that Madam Lulu's in, and for the life of me, I never understood if she knows the future, why she's still in a single wide. Up the game, get a double wide, something, okay? She didn't know the future. She didn't know what a palm meant. She didn't know, she didn't know. But they capitalize on it because everybody deep within them has this, 
desire to know what the future is. And what's amazing about it is God has placed that in us to, to wonder what the future looks like. And in the revealing, in the unveiling, God has given it to us. There's only one who knows the future. And it just so happens to be the one who wrote it. And he wrote the end before the beginning began. I mean, that's good. He wrote the end before the beginning ever began. He knows eternity past and eternity future in a minuscule fraction particle of a second as if it's happening now. He is above all time. That's who we're talking about. And then right here, he declares the future. He reveals it to us, okay? So what's the time of it? We'll uncover some of that as we go. Number five, what's the benefit then of this book? Is there a benefit for you to get captivated by this book? Yes, there is. He, he goes on, he says this, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud. And blessed are those who hear and obey things written in it. You looking at a blessed man because I've read this out loud already this morning, okay? And y'all didn't get in on that, okay? So let's just do this. Everybody say, blessed is the one who reads. You got a partial blessing because you didn't read the whole verse. Okay, right there. I'm blessed because I read it out loud. You see, in the, Old in the New Testament, in the early church, they would take a letter or a scroll and they would pass it to the churches. In fact, we'll see here seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. These, this, this letter was passed to those churches, and they would stand up and read it and proclaim it. And, and, and he says, blessed is the one who reads this thing aloud. But listen, what part do you get in the blessing? He says, blessed is the one who hears and heeds. You heard it. If you heed it, you get a blessing too. That's good stuff. So why? Because God wants you to understand what the future looks like. Men, women, preachers, evangelists, churches for 2,000 years have walked away from this final book of God's counsel in fear, uh, in misunderstanding. And the whole time, Jesus didn't take but three verses to tell us there's a blessing in this book. There's a blessing. Why? Because in this book, it tells the future for those who are redeemed in Jesus. And in this book, it tells the future for those outside of Jesus' sacrifice, those outside of grace. And no matter where you are in that spectrum, it's an invitation to understand more deeply where you fall. You see, if you're lost you need redemption. If you're lost, you need some, an outside source to come and save you from your sin. If you're saved, you can hold your head up and have hope because Jesus is coming back and he has nothing, absolutely nothing but good stuff in store for his children. And that's you and that's me. So how do we close? How do we close this what's next opening passage, this, this message? What's next? How do we close this first one? Well, he closes it for us. He says at the end of verse 3, he says, the time is near. The time is near. Now, that word time is the word in Greek, kairos. It means an epic or an era or a season. Listen, he is fulfilling this book as we sit here and stand here. 
right now. See, there's never a surprise in heaven. They never have to have a business meeting. Man, I didn't see that one coming. Did you see it? Jesus, you were supposed to be watching that. You know, I told the Holy Spirit to do it. You know, they never have that. They know exactly what's unfolding. And maybe in your life there's something unfolding that is not pleasant. Listen to me. There's a God in heaven. If you're a child of God, he, whether you're a child of God or not, he loves you. But as a child of God, he will orchestrate that into something beautiful if you let him. It's not always easy, but it's always good, okay? So I want you to know that, okay? He says, the time is near, and here's what we finish with. This is a thought to leave on. In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, so what? You know, we're your boys. When's this going to happen? When can we expect this stuff to unfold, okay? Jesus answered, and he says, the day and the hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only knows. He says, but I'm going to tell you this about it. He says, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days that were before the flood, the people were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew not until the flood came, and it took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and, and then shall uh, one be taken away, and the other left. And then two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken away, and the other shall be left. So you do this. He says, you watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord comes. But you can know this, that if a good man of the house, if he had known that the thief would come, he would have watched. And he would not have suffered his house to be broken up. And here's your verse. He says, Jesus speaking, therefore, you be also ready. For in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man is coming, then he will come. So how do we leave, man, getting into this book? Here it is. Just be ready. Just be ready. How do you ready yourself for the king of glory to come to this earth? How do you get ready for something like that? Well, if you're lost, you go before God. If you don't know Jesus or you wonder, you make sure that's fixed. My older daughter, Caitlin, she was, 20, she was probably 25 years old. No, she was probably 21 years, 22 years old. And she got saved when she was little, certainly thought she did. She lived a pretty good Christian life, read her Bible all the time, told her friends about Jesus, faithful church. I thought she was a Christian. I'm a counselor standing in the front of the church. We're having a, a revival, and she's singing in the choir. I looked up, and here she came. I thought, well, she guess she's rededicating her life. Daddy, he said, be 100% sure that I'm saved. I'm not 100% sure. I'm about 90%. I want to know that I know that I know. I want to know for sure. And I said, so what do you want to do about it? I want to get saved and be sure. I want to pray to be saved. She's, she's right there. I, okay. I said, well, let's just pray. We prayed. She asked Jesus in her heart. I said, do you feel 100% sure that he's done everything because he did everything? All you got to do is receive it. She said, I do. I said, you want to be baptized again? She said, I do. I baptized her again. Somebody came to me and said, does that not bother you? I said, which, which part? They said, the part about her being lost all those years. I said, no. That matters none. What matters is now she's saved. And we got people in this room right now that have a religion, 
a form of godliness and they deny the power within. They're Christians nominally, meaning by name only. Yeah, I'm a believer if anybody asks, I'm a Christian. But you've never let Jesus rescue your soul from its sinful condition and placed it in the family of life called the kingdom of God. And I want you to hear me. There's nothing you can do to receive that short of saying, I'll take that. You cannot add to salvation's equation except for this one thing. You are in bad need of it. And there's many in here who are saved, but you go through life with this kind of apathy and an uncaring spirit about other people that are lost, about living for your king, Jesus, as a doulos, a servant. Let this book be a reminder, man, he's coming back. I want to go out on a good day. I want to go out on a good note. Man, if he came right now, I was preaching Revelation. Yes, okay? I want to go out big. I want to go out good. And you should desire the same. Every head bowed and every eye closed, and we're finished. Lord God, I thank you for your word, for your counsel. I thank you for the revelation. I thank you so much of the picture that you show us of what you look like in glory already and what we're going to see one day. God, I don't, I don't get excited about those who are lost, who will see you in your glory, and it'll be too late. I do not get excited about that. But I do get excited, God, that you're patient and you're willing and you're still waiting. And I do get excited that just like you saved me 46 years ago, you'll save anybody that would receive your grace gift. So, God, I pray this morning that in this building, if there's some that are lost, that they would be willing to humbly and repentantly come before you and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Will you come into my life and save me on this day? And this could be their day of salvation. And For the rest of us, God, help us just realize you're coming back one day. And until that day, we're going to live for you, sold out, free to live as a servant for the Most High God, the King of the world, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for this time. We pray it in Jesus' name.